Good evening. This evening's reading is taken from Joshua, chapter 5, starting at verse 13, all the way through to the end of chapter 6. And that can be found on page 219 of your church Bibles, where you can follow along on the screens. So starting chapter 5, verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March round the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march round the city seven times, with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, make the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up and everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and make seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forwards, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry, do not raise your voice, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried round the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests, carrying the seven trumpets, went forwards, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched round the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched round the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time round, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. 
When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out, and all who belong to her, in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. At the time Joshua pronounces solemn oath, Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Uh, evening, everybody. Uh, firstly, it, uh, I've got an apology to make on behalf of uh, Simon James Morse, who was meant to preach uh, this evening, uh, but unfortunately he's been uh, COVID hit, so I'm a bit like the, the substitute teacher. But um, uh, Simon is going to be preaching for us at the end of July uh, in the morning service, so come along then uh, to come and hear uh, Simon. So with that in mind, let's uh, pray uh, as we begin uh, this evening. Father, we thank you uh, for this great story of Joshua, and we pray that as we just uh, touch over some of the surface, uh, that you would help us to have a greater confidence in you and a greater uh, confidence in your work to accomplish your purposes. Amen. I don't know if you're one of those people that is um, strategic when it comes to games. I was once uh, told off by my mother-in-law for putting a, uh, a two-letter word on a triple-word score tile in Scrabble uh, because then I wanted no one else to get that, uh, that sort of point. A little bit cutthroat when it came to Scrabble. Uh, you know, maybe you're like that, or maybe you're more generous than me and allow somebody else to get a good word uh, on there. But then how are you going to win? Um, but when it came to games like, like Risk, that's just not in my mind frame. I'm just not a Risk player. Or uh, Command and Conquer I used to grow up with, or Fortnite more recently. Just none of those type of games, those sort of military type of games, just completely go over my head. Uh, I just don't understand and get it. Uh, and our story uh, this evening is all about a military conquest. It's the start of the, the moving forward in the land. But their tactics, uh, their strategy is a little bit uh, unexpected. But before we get to that, uh, let's just remind ourselves of last week. Uh, last week, uh, we saw how God's people have just crossed over the Jordan uh, and now uh, they've renewed their covenant, renewed their promise uh, with the Lord. Uh, and they've been reminded that the Lord will keep his promise, uh, despite all of the, the faithlessness of his people. Uh, he will bring them through. He will bring them uh, into uh, the land. Uh, and then they get to Jericho. Jericho. 
And as they near Jericho, Joshua has a a meeting uh, with an unknown soldier, verse 13, chapter 5, verse 13. Now, when Joshua is near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Uh, Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or against us? Uh, 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 It's a pretty reasonable question, isn't it? There's a soldier coming. He's got a sword in the hand. They're about to a battle. He's like, are you on our side or are you on their side? And then the reply is staggering. Verse 14. Neither. Neither, he replied. But as commander of the arm of the Lord, I have now come. I'm not on theirs, not all yours. I'm here today to carry out the Lord's decree, to carry out the Lord's promise. And so, second half of verse 14, Joshua does the only sensible thing. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander says, verse 15, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And again, just as we hear this, we're reminded once again of those echoes of Moses in Exodus, the start of Exodus, when the Lord calls him and he takes off his sandals. Uh, that reminder again that, that Joshua is being uh, replaced as that replacement, sorry, is being uh, shown as the replacement uh, for uh, Moses. But what exactly is the Lord going to ask Israel to do? Uh, chapter 6, verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, uh, along with its king uh, and fighting men. Uh, the Lord is going to come good on his promise. Uh, the Lord is going to deliver uh, this city into the hands uh, of Joshua. Uh, he's going to become good on that promise of the land he made to Abraham, Isaac, Uh, And Jacob, the Lord's going to come good. But the way they have to do it is a little odd. Uh, Verses three to five, they're they're to walk around the city with the ark. Remember that symbol of God's presence. They're to walk around the city of the ark, that the priests uh, blowing the trumpets uh, and the soldiers front and back, but not giving a shout. They're, They're to do that for six days. Uh, But then on the seventh day, they walk around seven times uh, and shouting, uh, and then the walls are going to come down, apparently. Now, as I said, I'm I'm not good at risk, but even in my little, very small military mind, this does not sound like a good strategy. It doesn't really sound like the sort of thing where you're thinking, this is our cunning plan. It's, It's a ball trick plan, isn't it, really? I've got a cunning plan, my lords. It's like... No. I mean, it, it just seems like a plan that's doomed to failure. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, Jericho is a city that's locked up. They've closed the gates. There is no secret key under the mat or special passage they can get to. Uh, there's no way in. I mean, and these Israelites have been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. They've not been in a military boot camp. It's a complete no-hoper. But I think that's the point. I think that's the point. 
See, it, it cannot be by the might of Israel. It's only the Lord's power. It can only be about the Lord. Because it always only is about the Lord. Do you remember that chapter 3, crossing the Jordan? Chapter 3, verse 15. I'll just read it. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from the upstream stopped flowing. It's only always ever the Lord. It was the Lord who brought them across the Jordan, who brought this whole people across the land. And again, it's the Lord who's going to take Jericho. And the people do what the Lord commands. They walk around the city for six days, and on the seventh day, they march around seven times, blowing the horns. And then verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. This is the Lord fulfilling his promise. It's the Lord uh, giving that divine decree. Because really this story is not a a point-by-point guide as to how to conquer a city. It's not really a point-by-point guide about how to live. It's a declaration of the Lord's sovereign purposes. It's a declaration the Lord does what he says. And so that's why we've got the heavenly messenger who comes and says, I'm from the Lord, and this is going to happen. I'm going to do, we're going to do this. But just before we keep going and to see what that means for us, there is an important side note to ask ourselves. And it might have been one that was in your heads as you heard the story. And it's just to quickly ponder saying, when the Lord tells the people to go in, he tells them to devote everything, everyone, to the Lord. To kill them. So is the Lord here commanding a genocide? Is that what he's asking? I mean, it's a big question that, that we need to consider. It's a big question we need to think through. But just as we begin to answer that question and, and sort of consider the truths of Joshua 6, it's just remembering who we're talking about, who the various players are in this story. And the first is to remember who the Lord is, the Lord who is good, the Lord who is just and right, the Lord who is slow to anger and abounding in love, the Lord who is the source of all life and love, the Lord who what he says is right. The Lord who says, take the city is not a vindictive overlord, but a loving saviour. So that's who the Lord is. But but equally, uh, we need to remember who the people are, the Canaanites. Way back, uh, if we saw last week, way back in uh, Genesis 15, uh, verse 16, uh, that the Lord promised that he'd bring this judgment upon the Canaanites. He says, look, because of the way they've acted, uh, I will come back in justice. Just waiting for the the right time. 
And that was way back in Genesis 15. And so since that point, uh, they've had time to turn back to repent. And they haven't. Uh, and more so, this people are, are a people who are uh, guilty of uh, such practices as child sacrifice. They're not a good people. So when we consider this uh, conquest of Canaan, we're, we're being reminded the Lord is both uh, keeping his promise to, to bring the people into the land, but he's also keeping his promise to bring justice and judgment. Uh, to a people who had a long chance to turn back, he's bringing life and he's bringing judgment in the same act. But we might also be tempted to say, well, what, why couldn't they simply be expelled from the land? Why, you know, why, why couldn't the Israelites just, sort of just take over? Why, is, why go kind of to the extreme? Well, this is a little illustration that, that, that may, uh, may help. Because, um, of course, if you've got kind of a glass of water, uh, it's pretty sort of see-through, it's pretty clear. Uh, but the second you kind of add any other body to it, like some squash or something... Um, then it just becomes uh, tainted. It, it, it's impossible to separate the squash from the water. You, you can't pull them apart. Uh, and so the same thing is true uh, with God's people. Um, the second that they were to kind of be amongst and with uh, the Canaanites, those who were following other gods, those who were um, sacrificing children, uh, the second they were to do that, they couldn't distinguish the two. It would just spread like gangrene. It would just get everywhere. And so that's why verses 15 and 16 of the passage, uh, they're told to devote everything to the Lord. It's a loving command. Or face the consequences, which we're going to see more of next week. Because actually, Achan didn't do that. So when you see the title of chapter 7, Achan's Sin, Stephen's going to preach on that passage next week. And we'll see the consequences of that. But the conquest of Jericho shows us the Lord, in the same act, keeps his promise to, to bring the people into the land, but also bring judgment upon sin. In the same act, he brought life and judgment. He brings the people into the land, and he judges the Canaanites' sin. But then, where do we find ourselves in the story? Where do we find ourselves? I mean, is this just an interesting tale of how uh, Israel took the land? Well, there are two ways. Uh, sort of a, a big picture and a, a zoomed-in picture. Uh, the first is that the conquest of Jericho is a picture of something uh, far, far greater uh, but that greater event didn't take place uh, in Jericho, but in Jerusalem. Uh, the events that, that it points to uh, was not in Jericho, but in Jerusalem. Because in Jericho, uh, the Lord fought uh, a physical army and he won the victory, which meant the people could uh, inherit the land. Uh, but in Jerusalem... Jesus fought a bigger battle, not against flesh and blood army, but against sin and death. Uh, in Jerusalem, 
Uh, Jesus won the victory for all those who put their trust in him so that they may have life. Jesus defeated sin and death so it no longer has a hold on people. Uh, and he won not simply, a, he didn't win a land for people to, to live in, but he won life and life eternal. On the cross, Jesus both uh, delivered people into life and also judged sin and death by putting his foot upon it. Uh, so Jericho is a little picture of the big picture of Jerusalem. Uh, Jericho is the little picture of the, the, sort of the bringing in of the land of God's people for our big picture of us going into uh, God's kingdom. But what about the little picture? Well, it's about this lady, uh, Rahab. Now, do you remember Rahab uh, in chapter 2? Uh, the person who, who hid the spies, and in return, uh, they said, look, if you uh, tie this scarlet cord around your window, uh, then we'll save you and all uh, who are in your house. And then, verse 25, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Joshua hadn't forgotten the promise the spies had made. Joshua hadn't forgotten the, the promise they'd made to, to save her and to save her family. And so when they, they, they come to this, they go out and find her. They go out to look for her and bring her home, uh, bring her into uh, the people. Uh, she's saved from judgment. She's saved from being devoted to the Lord because she devotes herself to the Lord. Uh, and she, in effect, ceases to become a, a Canaanite uh, and now becomes an Israelite. She becomes part of the Israelite people. So what's that got to do with us? Well, we obviously haven't tied a, a cord in our window, but we have tied ourselves to the Lord Jesus. And actually, Jesus is the one who comes to seek and save his people. Jesus is the one who, who goes to search out uh, the lost sheep. Uh, Jesus is the one who goes to keep his promise and find his people. Uh, and when he finds us, he doesn't change our, our, our national identity. He does something far more precious. He makes us his flesh and blood relation. His children. Uh, he brings us out of judgment to life in the sun. But then what does, then sort of rubbing this down, what does that really mean for us? Well, on the one hand, it's the same message we hear week after week after week in Joshua. That the Lord knows what he's doing. That the Lord is, is crafting a, a plan, a, a tapestry. And he knows exactly where every thread goes. The Lord knows what he's doing, and nothing will stop his good purpose and plans. Um, uh, as we said before, one of the things we're going to be selling next week is this book, uh, 12 Things God Can't Do. Uh, 12, things God, 12 Things God Can't Do, uh, and How They Help You Sleep at Night. But actually, there's also a, a companion book to this, uh, which you can also get if you want. 
Uh, it's called A Million Things Ben Can't Do and how that can help you sleep at night. Um, and there's a lot of things I can't do. There is a lot of things I really can't do. Uh, and one of them is I have absolutely no control over my circumstances in life. I really don't know what tomorrow holds. Really haven't got a clue. I've got, I've, I've got some plans, but I don't know what tomorrow holds. Uh, and more than that, actually, I, I don't really have a great power to change them. <laughs> but that's okay. It's not my job to try and change them. But we have a Lord who knows what he's doing. We have a Lord who's, uh, who's making a tapestry. We have a Lord who's in charge. We have a king who carries forward his divine decree. Now, we know that because the story of Jericho, but actually we really know that because the story of Jerusalem. Now, we know that because of the story of Rahab, but we really know that because we have a good shepherd who comes to seek and save the lost. The Lord does know what he's doing. He is doing amazing things. And our job is to cling to him day by day and say, Lord, in those circumstances which I are known to me, uh, when those, uh, the letter comes through the letterbox, that the phone call comes, the text message, the exam results, the medical results, to cling to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I don't know. I can't do this. But you can. And so that's going to help me sleep tonight. My job is not to change the circumstances, but to cling to the Lord through them. But also, uh, the story of Jericho reminds us uh, that the war that, that we wage as Christians is it, it, not always by means that you'd expect. Uh, Jericho was taken not by clever strategies, not by finding keys under the mat. Uh, and so actually, oh, the Christian life likewise is not, by, is not won uh, by clever strategies. The Lord does not uh, grow his kingdom uh, through being clever uh, and sort of working sort of a, a very particular strategy. So in our battle then, the battle of uh, God's kingdom growing, what's the strategy? Now, if you were kind of uh, marketing Christianity and marketing this, uh, and you came to the Lord and said, Lord, I've, I've got a good idea as to how we can help people to sort of hear about Jesus. And with lots of sort of marketing strategies, one really good thing is to kind of get the, the great and the good to push your product to say, oh, because this person's using it, it must be a good thing. So, so we're going to get the great and the good of society to say why being a Christian and why following Jesus is the best thing that we can do. And you can imagine the Lord going, well, that's, that, that's great. I, I love those people to tell their stories. That's really good. But I think we can do more. Okay. I think, okay, well, how about this then? How about then we, uh, we put up lots of billboards uh, and church buildings that are going to sort of display 
uh, sort of words about who Jesus is. Uh, and so we can put billboards all over the place and adverts and banners. And, yes, that's quite good. That's good. But yeah, I like that idea. But I think we could do more. Okay, what about if we develop some, uh, some courses where people can, can hear about, you know, from the, the deep thinkers of life who could say, look, Christianity is good and reasonable because of this, or, or some, some videos or some books they can read. Like, yeah, I, th- I think that's a good idea as well, but I think we can still do more. You're like, and then you can imagine that the scratching of the head, the kicking of the feet and going, I, we've got nothing. And the Lord's saying, I'm going to use you. And you're like, what? You mean people? <laughs> like normal people? Uh, people who uh, uh, can't be bothered to get up in the morning to read the Bible because they'd rather stay in bed. Uh, people who uh, say silly things and do silly things. Uh, people who uh, just, you know, are weak. Sometimes people who are just hanging on to life and hanging on to, to the gospel by their fingertips. You want to use them? It sounds to me like a bit of a no hope of a strategy. And the Lord almost saying, I quite like those strategies. Because actually, then we'll know it's not them, it's me. See, the battle of Jericho, it was a no hope of a strategy. There was no way that the people could do it, but actually they followed the Lord, and the Lord brought the victory. And it reminds us of that greater victory, that no hope of a strategy, where, where God himself enters our world, dies upon a cross to bring us to life. And now he says to each one of us, off you go. Our task is a bit of a, a no hope of a strategy. But actually, it's the way that life is found not because we're clever enough or strong enough, because it's about him. And in that, there's a comfort, isn't there? Each one of us have a part to play, no matter who we are, no matter what we're doing, however broken or strong we are, the Lord can use us. But also a challenge, because the Lord will use us wherever we are, whoever we are. And so tomorrow... What will that mean for us tomorrow to say, Lord, use me? I'm I'm a no hope of a strategy, but I've got a great God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this story of Jericho just reminds us of you marching forward with your plan and your promises, of carrying out Uh, what you said. And Father, we pray that our confidence and hope is not in ourselves. It is entirely in you. And Lord, we pray, therefore, that each day we may cling to you, hold out uh, the hope of you to others, not because we're great, but because you are. Help each one of us to consider and to think what that might mean for us on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day. For your glory, we pray. Amen.